I wish I were fluent in Afrikaans, but I'm not. As a child in the rural Eastern Cape, Nelson Mandela hardly came into contact with white people, let alone Afrikaners. I was born in a part of our country where nobody spoke Afrikaans. I wasn't taught at school and there wasn't any literature. The first prominent Afrikaans-speaking person that Mandela encountered was Deputy Prime Minister Jan Smuts at the University of Fort Hare in 1939. Mandela was a first-year student and Smuts was rallying support for South Africa to join Britain in World War II. Smuts impressed Mandela. The calamity of another great war is upon us. I spoke about our choice in the war. That choice, with its overwhelming responsibility, was easy for English-speaking Afrikaners. Their hearts and minds were at one, but that choice created a deep crisis and painful division among Dutch Afrikaners. Mandela's second major encounter with an Afrikaner epitomized life under apartheid for black South Africans. In Johannesburg, a train conductor called him a kaffir and had him arrested. Mandela's fellow Indian law students asked their part-time Afrikaans-speaking lecturer, the late Bram Fischer, to defend him. Mandela soon realized that not all Afrikaners were racist. Close friend and veteran human rights lawyer George Bezos says Mandela, the Africanist, became interested in everything Afrikaans following his interaction with Fisher. Partly as a political tactic, but also he was a man who actually respected the things that were near and dear to other people under the influence of Bram Fisher. He became aware of the history of the Afrikaner against British imperialism, and he drew parallels between the struggle of Afrikaners and the oppression of black people. And he actually made the point that Bram Fisher should lead the Rivonia defense. Nobody could say with greater conviction that black people in the dock did no different to what the Afrikaner people did against British imperialism. On Robben Island, Nelson Mandela had 18 and a half years to read. He explored the works of Nadine Gordimer, John Steinbeck, Leo Tolstoy, Charles Dickens and Winston Churchill. In order to understand the Afrikaans mindset, he tried to speak and read Afrikaans. I could speak Afrikaans to the warders every day and my knowledge of the language improved. He dipped into and enjoyed DJ Opperman's poetry. He wrote about that city of gold, thorns and a thorn tree cross. They all sang at his funeral, even the poplar and even from across the river. Mandela also liked C.J. Langenhoven's novels. Langenhoven had written South Africa's old anthem De Stem as a poem in 1918, the same year in which Mandela was born. 
Former ANC spokesperson Carl Niehaus says Mandela later insisted that part of the stem be woven into South Africa's democratically fused anthem Nkosisike Lele i Afrika. I didn't think the stem should be part of the new anthem. He beckoned to me and said, My boy, of you of all people, I expect to support me in this. And to, to then he hit the table with the palm of his hand and said, There will be an Afrikaans phrase in our national anthem. How do you expect us not to have it? In the early 1980s, an Afrikaans-speaking urologist, Dr. Willem Loebscher, examined Mandela for prostate cancer and operated on him. I saw him often until his release from jail. Despite his lengthy imprisonment, he never showed any bitterness. When Mandela was transferred from Polsmoor Prison to Victor Vista in 1988, Warrant Officer Jack Swart became his personal cook. He spoke to me in Afrikaans and I spoke to him in English so that we could improve our command of the respective languages. He always corrected me when I made a mistake. He wasn't opposed to Afrikaans. Nelson Mandela first met his liberator, former President F.W. de Klerk, at Tainhuis in Cape Town two months before his release. He was an interesting and imposing figure, with dignity and an aura of authority. He was a good listener, probably due to his legal training. We had a constructive discussion. I felt that I was dealing with a substantial person who would become the leading ANC figure. I could do business with him. His basic integrity gave me hope for the road ahead. Nelson Mandela said his Afrikaans had deteriorated after he walked out of jail. Now my onslaught, Edithron, had alles in Dale gestort. One of Mandela's first homes as a free man was the mansion of Afrikaans-speaking insurance billionaire Doe Steyn in Sandhurst, Johannesburg. There, Mandela finished his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom. He said the only people he could trust was his family and the Afrikaners. They always spoke their mind. Long-time Foreign Affairs Minister Pek Boerter was involved in exploratory talks with Mandela. Boerter was flabbergasted at how much Mandela knew about the Afrikaners' history. He referred to the 27,000 women and children who died in the concentration camps, the Afrikaans' poverty, scorched farms and humiliation. Without a trace of venom, he said, the one thing I could never understand is why you of all people who experience so much pain and sorrow couldn't reach out to your fellow black countrymen who'd also fallen into poverty, were illiterate and craved development. That really got us thinking. Mandela later told Boerter why he valued his ability to read Afrikaans. Because then I know how you think and reason, what your fears and weaknesses are. And only then we can talk to each other. I said, then come in his plan, let me come.
Kaar. In August 1990, Boerta's Deputy Minister Leon Vessels became the first National Party member to apologise for apartheid. Vessels was sharing an international platform in the Norwegian capital with Mandela. The atmosphere was hostile towards me. As guests of the Norwegian government and people such as Gregory Peck and Jimmy Carter, Mandela deliberately spoke Afrikaans to me. His goodwill was crystal clear. Towards the end of the negotiations, Mandela sought the advice of retired Defence Force Chief General Constant Fulion on how to prevent a violent Afrikaner right-wing uprising. He regarded the Afrikaners as indigenous and indispensable to South Africa's development. He once told me that black people should be angry at the Afrikaners, but weren't. Whenever they look for work, they'd rather go to the Afrikaner because they were very human. Mr. Mandela believed that the Afrikaners and black people were the key to South Africa's future. President Nelson Mandela delivered his maiden State of the Nation address in Parliament in May 1994. He said South Africa would honour the memory of everyone who'd contributed to the identity of its people. They included the late Afrikaans poet Ingrid Jonker. The child is not dead. The child lifts his fist against his mother who shouts Africa. The child peers through the windows of houses and into the hearts of mothers. She was both an Africana and an African. She was both an artist and a human being. One of Mandela's many symbolic gestures of reconciliation was his 1995 visit to the white Afrikaner enclave of Urania in the Northern Cape. Former Constitutional Development and Provincial Affairs Minister Rolf Meyer remembers it clearly. His visit to the widow of the man who imprisoned him, the late Betsy Verwoerd, was one of the most touching examples of his outreach to the Afrikaans community. He didn't have to do that, but that's how he wanted to create an inclusive South Africa. In 1996, Mandela invited the Afrikaans writer Elsa Hubert and her late husband to his Genadendal residence in Cape Town. He'd read her books in jail, especially her 1964 travelogue about Mozambique. He asked me how he could assure everyone that his government didn't have a hidden agenda regarding Afrikaans. His attitude towards the Afrikaners was very positive. He had read about the Anglo-Boer War and the 1914 rebels because he was probably planning his own strategy. He told his comrades never to underestimate the Afrikaners because they'd fought bitterly against the British Empire. He wanted the Afrikaners to be part of the new country and its reconstruction. In and out of government, Nelson Mandela surrounded himself by Afrikaans-speaking people, such as his former presidential director-general, Professor Jakes Gharvel, and his long-standing personal assistant, Zelda Lechransi. She says Mandela practiced what the 1955 Freedom Charter preached that South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Their goal for South Africa was that it should be a country for everyone.
That's the assurance he wanted to give the Afrikaner. Afrikaners hit a plaque in South Africa. Dostein has described former President Nelson Mandela as a superhuman being. That may be pushing it, but it's still amazing that without bitterness or revenge, Mandela opened his arms to all South Africans, especially the Afrikaans community. South Africa and its people are richer because of him. South Africa is my land. South Africa is my country, and all its people are my people. As my man said. Come, Lionel.